Hello friends, welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. In this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I have a conversation about nutrition. Neither of us are formally educated in nutrition, but we wanted to have a discussion about food and distill out some simple concepts about what humans are designed to consume for fuel and the problems we see in 2018 with the food people are eating. As physical therapists, it's a topic very relevant to us in treating patients and one of personal interest that we're continuing to try and navigate ourselves in terms of knowing what to eat, the effects of what we eat, um, and how to clean up our diet for a better functioning body. This episode is sponsored by the TFC Foot Nerd Program. It's an online education program we're launching in 2019 to build a global network of people who understand the body and foot health in particular. The program is also designed to expand our teaching team so we can scale up our seminars and workshops and give more of them around the world each year. We just put out a more detailed update with Module 1 laying out why we created the program, what's included, the costs, how to apply, and any other, and any other relevant information uh, in case you're curious. For more information on that, visit thefootcollective.com and click on the Foot Nerd program uh, and you'll be able to download that module. This episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear for our seminars and workshops. They make super high quality cases in Canada and they let you keep your electronics safe and prevent them from being tossed around during travel. Um, so you can check out their cases at nanook.com. We use them. They're awesome. And we recommend them to anyone bringing kind of precious cargo uh, on their travels. Um, that's it for sponsors. Let's dig into this episode. We hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies. Starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. Today, Mike and I are going to discuss a topic that's of kind of personal interest. Um, it's something we see a lot of people struggle with, and it's something we feel can and needs to be simplified heavily, and that's nutrition. So as a disclaimer, you know, Mike and I are physical therapists. We have no formal education in diet advice and are simply talking about the world of food and kind of what we see firsthand with the people that we treat and first and foremost with ourselves. So take from this episode what you want. We learned about as much about diet in a formal way as we learned about feet and we teach a lot about feet. So it's kind of on the same platform. And, you know, why are we doing a podcast on diet? We're doing it because we feel it's a major pillar of health. And there's mass confusion out there. And we consider ourselves moderately informed about diet. You know, we're human beings. We eat food. We see the effects of food. And so, you know, from from our own creativity, we've kind of looked into it and seen what the landscape's like out there in terms of the what the experts are saying, what the research is like. So um, so let's, let's dive into this. And I think for a good place to start is you mentioned the term diet itself is, is actually a shitty term and a source of confusion, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, so diet there's there's two different forms of diet there's the the diet is in what am i taking in like what what is your diet like and then there's diet is in i'm going to go on a diet or or uh you know how is that diet for you how did that diet work for you yeah it's muddy so they're it's kind of muddy because people still perceive diet as something that you would go on for a eight week period and <laughs> see what happened um which there is relevance to that but the biggest thing should be that when you switch to a quote unquote diet, I think you should be thinking long term. So what is the diet that can I can sustainably live on mm -hmm. for for good? Right? Yeah, I'm changing the way I eat. I'm not just trying and, and and like you said, there is still relevance. We don't want to throw the whole thing out because maybe you're trying something new that you haven't done before. And if it's shitty or it doesn't work for you, maybe you don't continue it. But I think like you said, the end goal is I'm not eating the way I should be eating. I'm feeling the physical or mental or whatever effects from that. I'm gonna change how I eat and it's not a temporary transient thing just to lose 20 pounds it's i'm going to change the way i eat so that i i just have a body that functions better permanently yeah so, so maybe that's a good way to look at it if you can use those diets to in the process of figuring out what works for you for you so you can use yeah. that information uh to direct your overall diet long term so that you figure out, okay, how do how does my body function best? What fuels um, do I need? And how many calories do I need? What times a day do I need to eat? Mm -hmm. What are all these metrics that I can figure out? Um, you know, so so I have a sustainable way to fuel my myself. Because again, diet is basically what your cells are made of. You, you, the the stuff you put in your body is what you're made of, yeah. uh, and it's what you're fueling yourself with. So it's it's very very important. Well, and everyone I, knows that saying: "You are what you eat." Everyone yeah. everyone has heard that, right? But I don't think. 
people take it as literally as it actually should be taken, right? Like the, what you put in your mouth and gets digested through your body creates the building blocks for your body to heal itself, for your body to um, improve in terms of whatever it is, building muscle or, you know, they're also the building blocks you put in your body that fuel the energy you use for optimal mental function. Like there's yeah. so many things that what you eat affects. And I think people take this very narrow band um, of, of meaning from from the food they eat. And I think that's part of the problem. And it, and it's so it affects so many systems, like you said. It's not just like your your diet can affect your mental health, your physical health, um, your your sexual health. It can affect so many different things. Yeah. So it's one of those few pillars of health that if you just work to get in on point to to a to a good extent, you don't have to be perfect, and we'll talk about that later. But if you just get that somewhat on point, it's going to help so many other areas in in your health, and it's something we've seen it firsthand is that people will have stomach problems. They'll have digestive issues. They'll have all these other things going on. Um, and when, when they go to see someone in the, in the medical field right now, sometimes they're not even asking about what they're, what they're putting in their bodies. They're just doing a plethora of tests on them. Yeah, and I've how seen crazy this with, is a, that? with a few patients so far. It's like, you're not even looking at one of the fundamental things that you should be looking at. You're, <laughs> you're just, you're sending them for five different tests when you should be looking at what do you eat? How often do you eat, etc.? Uh, and that's where you'd want to start. And again, some practitioners are better than others, but the medical system as a whole is not very trained on diet um, where they should be because it's one of the you know four or five pillars that really determine somebody's long-term health. Yeah, like we saw that firsthand. So a friend of ours was having uh, digestive system issues, GI issues, um, and she's getting all these tests done. And when we talk to her, it's like, Okay, well, is your specialist that's ordering these 10 different tests to see what's uh, what's inside of your body in terms of your GI system, if you have polyps or if you have cysts or whatever it is, is the person ordering all these tests even asking you for a detailed diary of what you're putting in your body? Are they asking you about your poo, right? Are they asking you these very basic fundamental questions that should be asked to understand and to get an idea or, or to at least make a picture of why these issues might be happening? And when her answer was no, that blew my mind because... Mm-hmm someone investigating a GI system and problems there without even asking for a detailed account of what's going in there and being digested or or what the end result is happening in terms of the poo and what that can tell you that was like that blew my mind so I think this misplaced precision that we see in the physio world where we treat the meniscus but we don't treat why the meniscus is getting shriveled up and worn worn down because that person can't move this is carrying over into the medical world and even the specialist world of diet and health and, and GI problems. And I think we need to clean this up because our that that girl wanted to know what she could do. She wants to get better. She wants to feel better. She doesn't want to do all these tests. She she wants to feel more more energized more energized, all these different things. She doesn't know. She's not being told. She's you know, whatever she reads just confuses her more. So I think we need it needs to be cleaned up. So the that's a good point. Is the, the confusion in this field still persists even among the amongst the experts in the field? Um, when you get to the highest level, there's still kind of this back and forth. Uh, however, I think that a lot of it is formed early. So if you look at somebody's diet habits, a lot of diet is habits. It's mm-hmm. habitual. It's a, it's what you feed yourself with. And we've talked about habits. It's what's you know, habits are, are doing things that are available to you. So I think a lot of people's diets are formed very early on with what's in their household, yep. what their parents uh, and family members eat, um, the, the habits of eating, what they're putting in their body, um, what they take to school or what they're sent to school with, what's available to them in the schools. So I think that a lot of it is people are just running on these programs that have been developed since they've been a young kid. Mm. And they've gotten to the point where they're like, whoa, what's going on with me? And it's like, well, this this way that you've been eating and fueling yourself over time is not the necessarily the best way for for you and just because you've seen it all around you and you've developed that way doesn't mean it's the it's the way that that you should be uh doing things or fueling yourself so people get into trouble and there's no over- overarching the, we've had this, you know, even in Canada, the Canada food pyramid is like completely whack and completely, completely off. Yeah. And so, so it shows you that what, what we're even learning in school um, is not on point and people don't have the information 
and they don't know where to go with it. But I think even even if they do have the information, they're fighting with the, this programming that's happened and, and what they eat at their family dinners and all of this thing. Well, going to a grocery time. store, okay? The the eye level items in the grocery store are the sugar laden um, cereals, are mm-hmm. the processed granola bars laced with sugar and hugely processed. Like we're being, um, it's very hard to eat well in society because the grocery store you go into is going to have sugar and snacks and shitty food everywhere the school that you go to probably has vending machines and shitty food everywhere and this primal addiction we have we're literally wired to be addicted to sugar so if it's available and you eat it you're going to want to eat more of it right Mm -hmm. it's like cocaine it's like for some people that addiction is so deeply seated and they don't really see they don't connect the dots with how they're feeling or, or their health with the food that they're taking in. I think that's the problem. There's no, you know, we didn't learn in high school what, what we should be eating. Yeah. And it's so, it can be tapered down to be so simple if you look at it just as a biological mismatch. We are not eating the way and what we should be eating as human beings. It's uh, it's it's complex because, like you say, it's one part of it is do we have the education and the information? The other part of it is is what's available to us and what's in front of us because, you know, Nine times out of ten, even if I have the information and a, and a tasty uh, tree is in front of me, I'm gonna I'm gonna still eat it. So <laughs> it, it, it's it's not necessarily just the information. Um, it's it's what you you have to be very conscious in today's society of uh, of these of diet, right? So because it, like you say, it's so hard to actually be on point with with diet based on what's around us in the grocery store, the the fast food uh, places that like outnumber healthy spots deep by 10 to one. Yeah. Um, it's just, you have, it's harder to eat on point. So you have to be very, very conscious and you have to almost override these primal instincts that are within us mm-hmm. that want us to take in as many calories uh, when we have them available to us because you know, when food is in abundance, historically throughout throughout time, that's a time where you wanted to actually take advantage of that food uh, and make sure you're fueling your body and your and your family so that when food is scarce, you know, you, you have some reserve on point. Yeah, binge that's, eating is an adaptation, literally. Yes. Like, because back in, you know, 10,000 years ago, if the only time you could get refined sugar was by climbing a 100-foot tall tree and get stung by 50 bees to try and steal their honey to give to your family because that was a super high-calorie, nutrient, and sugar-dense substance, you ate as much of that as you could when you got it because you're probably not going to get it very frequently. That's so interesting because it's almost like that switch, it's almost completely flipped on its head. Throughout most of our existence, the struggle was to obtain calories. Yeah. And and now the struggle is to withhold calories because <laughs> so it's almost like now calories are so abundant that it's, yeah. we have to actually, we have to consciously and put in effort to uh, withhold from that, mm-hmm. which is very, very interesting. I know. It goes counter think, to our lizard brain. It goes counter yeah. to how we evolved to be where we are today. And, and yeah. like... We're so similar to what we were five, ten thousand years ago. That's a blip in evolution. And yet societally our culture has changed crazy, crazy amount, like scary amounts in the past mm-hmm. hundred, two hundred years. And so now it's like, okay, we evolved to not have calories very readily available. The calories that were available were not refined, super energy, high dense calories. And so we were supposed to eat as much as we could when we could get it because food was hard to get. And now food is readily available these high high calorie foods are available anytime we want for very very little resources um and you don't have to expend any resources to get them that's another big thing right back then it's like if you wanted to hunt and eat meat you have to do a lot of moving around you have to do a lot of running you have to be a physical person in order to even get that there's something to be said too about if you were doing hunting and gathering and getting food and calories you were doing it in your for most of human history in your location where you were so people in the uh southern hemisphere or on an island were eating stuff on that island they weren't getting shipments coming in (laughs) from across the world um and the same could be said for anywhere people in the north would eat you know seals and and the things available to them so Mm -hmm. and in the summer they'd have a different diet so yeah it was seasonal very seasonal very location dependent and that's what over time so it's like okay we we evolve and adapt to that environment so generation after generation you're eating what's in that current locale Mm -hmm. but now we move around the world as humans and we get food shipped from around the world as humans um so we're eating stuff from all over the place so i think that's one other part of it and that's it kind of gets a little muddy and, and tricky but i know there's tests that can be done to see like you know genetic tests where you're 
where your roots are and what you might have. There's, I've heard things like that on podcasts, um, mm-hmm. and there's programs you can do for that. But, but again, it's just, it's just an interesting concept too, because we're, we're not only having to not obtain our food, but we're getting food from all these places where we wouldn't naturally get it. Uh, and maybe our bodies don't necessarily respond, respond to these foods that we're eating. Yeah. And I think just in the feeling I get is that just, like you said, even the experts, right? The paleo people are fighting, the keto people are fighting, the low carb people, and it makes it for such a distracting space and such a confusing space, even at the expert level. So how do you expect the person who is, in general, poorly informed, uh, poorly informed about sleep, poorly informed about movement, and those are even simpler topics, how do you expect them to have tangible an actionable knowledge on how to eat food when even the experts are fighting over the minutia and the bullshit of the specifics when really it's very simple in terms of these overarching principles. The 85% of information that people need to make tangible changes in their own life is being muddied by the 15% specifics of people arguing on different camps when they can probably agree on a lot of major principles. I think that one of the main points that I heard from Lane Norton is that what matters most is sustainability of diet. Mm-hmm. So again, somebody who is being perfect with their diet, but who who can't keep it up, that is is not as good as somebody who is pretty good, figures out kind of what works for them, how yep. they feel pretty good, um, you know, how they can maintain a, a, a good weight, how they can maintain good energy levels. Okay, what, is that, what does that look like? Okay, can you maintain that? Do you yeah. like doing that? Can you find out words that, uh, foods that work for you that yeah, you like? sustainable is so important. Okay, cool. So maybe we've covered 80, 85% of it. Maybe you still like eating your, you know, treats uh, uh, once in a while, maybe whatever. But does it work for you in the long term? And do you feel pretty good? And can you control your weight? What does that look like? Yeah. And it probably doesn't look like eating a shitload of uh, processed carbohydrates and high, sh- high sugar foods that it probably doesn't because those two things don't equate because yeah. those those things, it probably also doesn't look like eating 5000 calories a day if you're not expending if you're not an Olympic athlete that those two things it doesn't it doesn't equate to. Yeah. So I think it's like the, the baseline level is figure out what kind of works for you so you can maintain what you need to maintain and, and have the energy you need to to have. Um, and then we can kind of go deeper into like getting genetic testing. We can get into like figuring out specific foods that you might have uh, allergic responses or inflammatory responses to certain foods that work well for you or don't. So then we can start to trickle away these foods. But but I think w- that leads us to kind of the low the lowest hanging fruit approach is, is probably a good place to start for a lot of people where it's like, okay, let's just start knocking off some of these low hanging fruits. Like, do you drink a lot of sugar? Do you drink sh- two sugars in your coffee three times a day? Do you drink uh, soda? Do you drink orange juice? Do you drink juices? Okay, great. You're drinking a lot of crap. You're drinking a lot of sugar. Can we start there? Can we cut that in half? Can we cut it down by 80%? Can we eliminate it altogether? Low hanging fruits. For sure. Like you would never go to a coffee shop or you would never go to a grocery store buy 15 packs of sugar and muck them and just mm-hmm. destroy them eat them all at once yet people do that with a beverage with a, a a soda beverage without blinking an eye you're drinking liquefied sugar which yeah. you would never you would look at a pile of sugar on the table and be like oh that's that's weird i would never eat that but people drink it and don't equate it to be the same thing so you're right the low-hanging fruit is sugar super super sugar syrup laden beverages which That's a good place. are like an overload of your system in terms of sugar because it's instantly digested because it's liquefied. That's a good place to start. And mm-hmm. like you said before, find out what works for you. I think a good place to start with that, Greg Rose mentioned it in a way that I had never heard it before, the water fast. Okay, you want to know what foods upset you and what foods are, are don't upset you and you can eat and you're fine? Try a water fast. So you drink water for four days and then After four days, you introduce one food per day and you do your own experiment of seeing whether or not that food makes you feel like shit or whether or not that food can be eaten by you without negative effects and contributes to like a good energy balance. So you drink water for four days, which he claims is actually not as hard as what most people think. First day probably sucks. But then after that, he's like, you actually feel energized and want to work out and you, so I'm gonna have to try that. I haven't done it yet, but I definitely have to do it. Um, and then you, so on the fifth day, maybe you eat cashews, okay? So you, all you eat is, is a couple, some cashews in the morning and some cashews in the afternoon. How do you feel the day after? Do you feel like shit? Okay, your body doesn't like cashews. Lesson learned, don't eat cashews. Try the next food. If cashews work, then on day, on that was on day five, on day six, you eat cashews and you add in one more thing. Maybe it's, you know, whatever you want, crackers, okay? Cashews and crackers. 
on the next day you feel like shit. Okay, well, I know cashews worked because I felt okay the day after I ate cash- cashews, but crackers made me feel like shit. So I'm not going to eat crackers. Get rid of all the crackers. And mm-hmm. you just figure out, okay, maybe you have, you know, you slowly expand your food repertoire of foods that work for you and you eliminate the stuff that doesn't work for you. Lesson learned. Like it doesn't take an expert to tell you that. I think that's a good way of looking at it. Now that's probably more at the kind of, that's that's probably more at the extreme end of the spectrum, but but almost what needs to be done in a lot of cases. And I think if we backtrack a little bit, what what can probably what where you should probably go before that is like again low hanging fruits. Like the, the, we've already talked about the sugar drinks, but even just like the the sugars outside of that. So like, are you eating a lot of like granola bars, uh, cookies? Like, are you eating a lot of like donuts, muffins? Yeah. The, these sugars that you're taking, can you start to chop that down? Because a lot of people know the the bad things that they're eating. So it's like, can you can you start with that and then because that what you're talking about is like that's almost what needs to be done it's like we need to figure out what what we run best on over time we almost need to find a group of foods that that we um that we can utilize and we can mix and match over time that that we know are gonna um, work well with our systems well the water fast is more for someone that was a good point it's more for someone that's having like super gnarly gi issues that they're having their skin is breaking out they feel like crap their stomach they're always bloated that's more for that person but i would argue that it's more it's probably more relevant for the average person because a lot of people are trying this elimination diet where they eliminate certain foods but if you want to just go straight up you're like i want the solution i don't want to have to go through all this bullshit of guessing start with water and add foods in instead of slowly eliminating foods because and and i think what you said in terms of low-hanging food is very important but i also think that a lot of people don't know that some of the foods they're eating actually have sugar i ate coleslaw the other day and i was like god damn this coleslaw tastes really good i looked second ingredient after cabbage sugar mm-hmm. right ketchup barbecue sauce salad dressings a lot of things that should not have sugar have sugar because companies are like we put a little bit of sugar in it people buy way more of this stuff so i think that means I, you should probably one principle is you should know what you're consuming. Yeah. So even from a macronutrient level, so what is the the protein, fat, uh, and sugar? You know what 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 does it look like? What are you consuming? Because that's a good point too. Um, and then it's like look for low hanging fruits first, and then it's also like you know you're. I think there's well something like alcohol. That's another great example. So there's other things like. People will be on this low carb diet and then they'll crush six beers on a weekend sometimes. <laughs> and um, a lot of times we don't look at these other these other factors as well. But a, a component of that is listening. The water fast is a great way to like really, really dial that in and get you back to like listening and figuring out what works for you and what doesn't. But I think that if we dial it back a little bit from from the intensity of that, it's like we need to figure out what what we respond to and what we don't because sometimes it's not as a lot of times it's not as hard as we think too so it's like you need to listen to your body because i think that temporary mouth pleasure that we that we often get comes back to that primitive drive to want to obtain calories and things that taste good and and just really kind of get to that um you know just get to that craving for calories and for nutrient for for high dense calories now, if we if we kind of go the other way and say, well, how did that make us feel afterwards? I think that would tell us a lot too, because what I notice mm-hmm. is that if I, I'll still destroy pizza once in a while, but I I notice like, and maybe it's because I'm not tolerating as as good now, but or maybe it's because I'm listening to my body more now. But I know mm-hmm. that if I if I eat like three four slices of a pizza, I feel noticeably sluggish the that later that day and the next day going into the next day same my my i'm really like my stomach looks like i grew like four pant sizes because i get like bloated so it's like okay well having your stomach inflated like a balloon after i eat that is okay that's a sign so my stomach shouldn't because when i eat other foods that doesn't happen so what's going on there right and it doesn't mean never eat pizza it just means that like and you're right. I'm I'm the same way. Where I think I think it's that we're more aware of it because I think this is always happening, right? Mm-hmm. My body's not just rejecting slices of bread and cheese now, and it never did before. It probably always was. Just I always just felt okay. I never linked the the dots of of eating pizza, mass quantities of pizza, and feeling like shit or pooing like soft serve for a day. Yeah, and I never equated those two things. And now that you know, okay. I know why that's happening now. I know why I feel like crap, why like my brain doesn't function as well, why I feel sluggish physically and mentally. Because what I put into my body is is literally 
all of my energy is being sapped up to digest this shit that my body's really not familiar with digesting. Um, and that's why I feel so crappy. And and, mm-hmm. and it's not to say you never eat pizza, right? You just don't eat it every freaking day. And when you eat it, maybe you have two slices instead of four because the reinforcement of knowing you're going to feel shitty if you eat four, five, six slices of pizza makes it so that you're like, okay, I remember last time I ate this, I felt like shit, so I'm going to eat a little bit less. I'll see how I feel. If I don't feel too bad, maybe it's worth having pizza once in a while because I like the taste of pizza. Yeah, it's tasty. And you can, and then there's the argument that you can make, like there's different types of pizza. You can make your, you can construct your own pizza or burgers too. Like I, I love me a burger and, and I will. <laughs> loves me a burger. I will go out of my way to make my burgers healthier because there's not, it's not that like you've got, you know, a couple of bread slices, but yeah. you've got a big slab of, of, um, sirloin beef that you can you can craft or or turkey or whatever it is and then you can put a bunch of veggies and toppings like in reality it's not that's pretty good like but if you go and 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 crush like two three big macs at mcdonald's that's a that's a different story (laughs) yeah um so you can make these things kind of fit fit your lifestyle a little bit better too i agree Liv makes these uh cauliflower crust pizzas or spinach crust pizzas where instead of bread you're using like um I don't know how she does it. She's a wizard when it comes to food, but she puts basically spit ton of spinach and some gluten-free flour or coconut flour on the food processor, and that makes the crust. And then you load it up with veggies, and that, that literally is like eating a obviously it's not the same as eating a salad, but it's much more similar. And I can eat three or four of these little mini pizzas and feel great, and it's still the same taste. It, obviously, that takes more effort, um, but you like you said, you can make things that you like to eat healthier and still taste very very good. I think. What we're talking about, a lot of it comes back to the baseline principles of like the of how your brain works. So, mm-hmm. so I think that there's two. If we talk about like the the three brain model, so we're talking a lot of things we're talking about is being conscious. Mm-hmm. Conscious is like that. The conscious part of our brain is the the most highly developed part of our brain. So if we consciousness equals awareness equals I know what I'm doing and I'm thinking about what I'm doing, so I can make kind of logical, rational decisions. Um, so all of this comes down to listening and to I base your body. it on, and I base it on previous data too, previous right? Data. Part of that is I know that this did this to me in the past. So that goes into my kind of decision-making process. Exactly. So that's kind of that highest developed part of the brain. Now, if we go a layer down, we've got that emotional part of the brain. And I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up in it, both the, like the limbic part of the brain, that part two of the brain, and also kind of that basal ganglia part three part of the brain. That's that reptilian part of the brain. Yeah. So I think those two systems kind of play hand in hand and influence the third system or, or just kind of trump that third system, that conscious part of the brain. So if you look at like the, the limbic part of the brain, that's where we just get, get emotional about things. And I think that if you look at food, it becomes this, weird it, there's a psychology behind it too there's a yeah. there's a comforting part of it there's an emotional part of it people when they're feeling down or depressed they want to right the, what is down and depressed that's a, that's emotion so so it's this weird um when they're feeling anxious they want a certain thing mm-hmm. so why are like our, our emotions in this limbic system are kind of influencing our food choices and driving us in ways that we wouldn't necessarily be driven if we if it was just our conscious brain in charge yeah there's so many it's it can go so deep in terms of the dimensions of food and and how it uh, fits into each person's schema right it's not yeah. just for most people food is not just simply um nutrients right like it, it, I, I go through yeah. phases where sometimes it's just like okay i only eat because i need nutrients i know i need nutrients in my body so that my brain can can have fuel to function but at other times it's like food takes a totally different meaning right? it's almost like sometimes for me it's almost like uh it's either like a, a reward. It's like a, it's yeah. like a break from the from the grind. Yep. It, it's this weird thing where it can fit these weird categories. And you're like, whoa, that's what food's doing to me. It's it's satisfying that need. That need is far away from like like you say. It's far away from the actual nutrition part of it because mm-hmm. that's very black or white. It's like what what works for me, what's generally healthy, and what's not. We're we're getting way off track here because food is filling up these other voids or, or, yeah. or covering these things up. Then if you go a layer deeper, it's like the, what we talked about at the start. Um, the reptile part of our brain, that basal ganglia, that 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 system that just wants is like, oh, there's calories, consume. Mm-hmm. Food used to be scarce for food is scarce. Eat, eat, eat. Yeah, Ooh, even tastes the, good. Even the eat. neurochemical reward system, like sugar, is as addictive as cocaine. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we, <laughs> I realized this on Halloween this year, how crazy Halloween is. We just feed little children <laughs> these bars of toxic. It's not toxic. I don't want to demonize it like that. But when you eat sugar, if you eat 10 little mini chocolate bars, sugar is toxic. It is going to have severe negative effects on your body, whether you realize it or connect the dots or not. And the fact that we give 
little kids this addictive cocaine-esque substance and make a holiday out of it where they dress up weird and go and get mass sugar. So, like, I just realized the weirdness of that this year. And I was like, wow, this is is crazy. Kids treat it, like, almost like that. And I was talking to a colleague a few months ago, and he would say his kids actually, they'll find stashes of candy um, (laughs) in in the room and around the house. So it's, like, literally, like, it's almost like this weird drug thing. Because they'll find it under the mattress. They'll find different places. And we're like, where'd you get that? And it's almost this weird thing where they have to hide it. It's almost like a drug habit that they have. For sure. So it, when you look at it that way, it, it is because it is. And that's maybe maybe kids. I mean, that kind of is a perfect example. Kids aren't aren't consciously aware of these things as much as they, they should be. Um, they're kind of driven by just like, ooh, tastes good. I want. Like, ooh, this is available to me. I'm going to eat it. Like, it's just like... So they're kind of just demonstrating that that primal nature where that food can food can have. So it, it kind of goes deep, but but I think the 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 overall overarching principle is that we need to be more consciously aware of this because yeah. it's too hard to get hijacked by all these other things. Too easy it's, to get hijacked. Uh, sorry, too easy to be hijacked by all these other things. So yeah. we have to like just practice consciousness, practice awareness. Um, and, and I then, think it starts with giving people good data. Like people, mm-hmm. okay, I want to be conscious about what I eat. That's good. Now I need the data to be able to know how to consciously apply good information. I mm-hmm. think people just aren't being given good information. It's part of this whole like mass confusion thing. So, um, you know, I think... Like you said, low-hanging fruit is definitely start to eliminate some of the refined sugar and the refined carbs. Not all of them because you only have a certain amount of motivation. And when you go into sugar withdrawal, the tendency is to go back full force, maybe even stronger. So know that you have limitations. Know that some sugar is not terrible, but just understand that, okay, what is my shittiest habit in terms of sugar consumption do i buy chips twice a week or do i have pop or or fruit juice in the fridge because fruit juice is literally if you look at the amount of sugar in a can of orange juice and a can of coke they are pretty much the same so i think people need to understand that what you might think as something that's healthy might not be as healthy as you actually um, might think so becoming better informed reading the ingredients on the back of what you eat right maybe Mm. you don't count every single gram or microgram of carbs or sugar or whatever that you consume but if you look at the back of a can of something or at the back the ingredients list and you see a huge quantity of sugar maybe that's not something you should be eating on a regular basis or buying at the grocery store every day that's something that has impacted me like and again that's just being a it's that awareness of like okay let's just figure out what am i actually eating but for me now that's the difference between me buying a product and not is often in that that sugar content so I'll look at a drink at like a gas station if I'm on a road trip or something and it, and it's like, oh, and that'll even be inform my um my ways of like cheating too. So it's like, hey, I feel like a pop. Like I'm just I'm in the airport, I'm just, you know, uh I just want to pop. Okay, there's there's a there's a ginger ale that has 30 grams or a Coke that has like 45 grams. And again, that's like, you know, probably not the best either way. But again, you're dealing with like a third more sugar or, or you yeah. can get something that makes a difference. It makes a difference. Add it up. Um, or, or there's this drink that, oh, oh crap, this this iced tea here has 56 grams of sugar. Oh, shit. <laughs> I was just going to get an iced tea. Yeah. But now oh, it's like, okay, well, you know what? I'm just going to go to Starbucks and grab a a tea, right? Yeah. It's like zero, okay, zero grams of sugar. But so, so this will start to inform you. And for me, that's made a big difference too. Cause like you say, you look at half the labels and you're like, oh shit, this is more than I thought. Yeah. Uh, and this just starts piling up and piling up. And it, then it creates those habits of, con- of habitually just um, consuming these, these things that you didn't even know in the first place. So yeah. Remember in, uh, we went to, we did a TFC seminar in um, Ireland recently remember on the flight to dublin they gave you a ginger ale can it was 100 milliliters yes that was the perfect dose it was like a shot of of mouth pleasure it wasn't awesome you know the average can is 355 milliliters they gave you a 100 milliliter can it was a little taste and it gave you a little bit um but you weren't like that's a third less volume that makes a big difference that was perfect i think it was a i think it was 11 grams (laughs) of sugar in that Hmm. so and, and that i got one and it's like it just like you say you don't need a massive like pail of pop like you you <laughs> you don't need a big gulp you don't need a big gulp um that just did what it wanted it's like ooh, that was tasty yeah. and then it's like and then i had a, a coffee after that or a yeah. water and it, and that and i was fine that almost like scratched the itch right there mm-hmm. but it was a third or less of the sugar so things like that i mean they go a long way too um and i'm glad we did track of them i'm very glad we did um 
Like part of you looks back, you're like, oh God, I did biology, biochemistry, and psychology in an undergrad. I think that was probably the optimal, one of the most optimal undergrads to do in order to be a health professional because you understand, like if you actually look at sugar at a, at a cellular level, it's all about receptor. Um, it's all about like upregulation and downregulation. So the more sugar you have, the less receptors your body puts uh, puts on your cells to in terms of those neurochemical reactions that give you the pleasure sensation. So the more you have, the more you need in order to just keep up that same level of sensory pleasure, mm-hmm. right? So it's like if you're not having huge amounts, your body's not upregulating and downregulating all these sensors to make you need more and more and more, right? So a little bit of sugar is not a bad thing. It's just it's almost like people cross this threshold where. In order to just not feel shitty, they have to consume a huge amount of sugar. And I think that's where these cravings come in, mm-hmm. right? People that crave sweets and sugars um, and sugar-laden foods is like they're just trying to not feel bad a lot of the times, right? Yeah, exactly. And then they feel this guilt of eating these things when they have no control over whether they almost feel like it's not a choice. They have to eat them or else they feel shitty. And it's like this nasty cycle now where... it's a psychological game again. Yeah, it's, it's very... Um, and it's so like we're obviously we're going to talk about diet from a non-diet expert background and from a very simplistic perspective, right? Like one thing I realized even recently was that when I'm sleep deprived, I want to eat way more sugar. Mm-hmm. It is a real thing. When we travel, I like I eat way more shit, shitty food. Part of it is just access, but part of it is like I want to go get a bag of chips or a chocolate bar when I haven't slept very well. Well, and- what is lack of sleep? It's it's a form of stress. Yeah, and when I feel other forms of stress, I also feel like eating more. Um, or more shit like yeah. it just so i think like chronic stress lack of sleep which plays into chronic stress this is this is all feeding into all like, factors all factors in that it's like i want to just put food in my stomach i don't have to think about that so yeah that's that's definitely a part of it um one one thing i just want to cover too is the the um the frequency of of how of how people eat and i think just just chatting about that for a, a couple minutes because i think that if we look historically again this is a a debated topic as well so it's not like we're saying you should eat this many times a day or that many times a day but there is a lot of good research coming out in in terms of uh, the the benefits of intermittent fasting um decreasing your your food windows where you're taking in food and it, it somewhat makes sense it's like we have this idea in our heads that we should eat three times a day because or that's six. just i remember that face oh you gotta yeah. eat six meals a day but but what? three is kind of like just like the global thing you do yeah like it's like breakfast lunch dinner everyone knows those three norm. words we have words for them and those are what we do and we meet for breakfast lunch or dinner so it's just so deep deeply oh, it's like oh you didn't have lunch yet oh my god poor you you didn't have lunch yeah um so, <laughs> so or yeah. breakfast is the most important meal of the day yeah that's a that's a hilarious one that i always hear yeah and, and it's like maybe maybe you like some meeting something in the morning and maybe that works for you but you don't necessarily need to follow those three meals of the day principle maybe hey maybe eating six days a day six times a day does work for you maybe you like that maybe it makes you feel amazing and you found foods that that you like to eat or maybe eating once a day also works for you maybe you like yeah. to feast once a day and um, at the end of the day maybe you like to fast for the morning maybe you have more energy so i think part of it it's highly individualistic and part of it is like we need to get out of this programming that you need to eat specific things at specific times a day, um, or you, sorry, you need to eat uh, at certain times a day because I yeah. think it just locks us into this schedule um, of, of eating, and it's not necessarily how we are have evolved to be eating over mm-hmm. time. So, for me, uh, from a personal standpoint, I li- I do like to eat in the morning, but I find that if I eat a bit lighter and I eat mainly like protein and fat, so I'll eat like you know a few eggs and an avocado. Um, that fuels me and most of the time I won't eat till way later in the day. Sometimes I'll have a little snack, but oftentimes I'll just eat later at, at dinner. So at like mm-hmm. four or five or six, I'll eat like a dinner. So yep. that, that seems to be what works for me. Whereas before I'd have like a big, big, you know, oftentimes carbs in the morning and that would, uh, that would actually Make lead you me to be more hungry for yeah. me. And I would eat at lunch or I'd often eat a sandwich, something classic that you'd have for lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would just, and I'd be hungry again for dinner and then I'd have some snacks at night. So I think this like kind of loop that I was being thrown around on yeah. was due to um, my eating frequency and the amount of, and, the, and what I was eating during these times. And so, doing that is part of experimenting to see what works for you. Yeah. I think that's important what you said. You're not saying everyone should eat like that. You're just saying this is what works for me from a personal standpoint. Yeah. And I can relate to the same thing. You know, I used to always eat, same thing, breakfast, lunch, dinner. 
dinner and uh, I can't remember which book I read. It might have been like a paleo book and it said like, you know, a lot of times in past human cultures, not even that far, far back, humans would eat more scarcely. They would have a huge meal at the end of the day. They would have some stuff during the day to fuel themselves based on their energy expenditure. So if you're not doing a lot of moving around, maybe you shouldn't be eating a huge amount of calories because those aren't going to be put towards function. They're just going to be kind of stored. Um, And so I started having a glass of water and coffee in the morning and then maybe a few nuts during the day. I wouldn't eat lunch. I wouldn't eat breakfast. And then I would feast at dinner. And that worked for me super well. Um, And I'm not saying it works for everyone, but I found the amount of energy I had to treat patients during the day boosted way up. And it was also liberating. I was like, I don't have to worry about making breakfast first thing. I don't have to worry about, oh, where am I going to get lunch? Do I have to go get food? Do I have to make food? All this kind of stuff. It was like, it was awesome. Yeah, and and I still eat like that, and and not always, right? When we're away, if we're um, doing a seminar or something like that, yeah, sure, I'll go out and have breakfast. But same thing, I'll try and eat eggs, bacon, healthy fats and proteins, and not load up on carbs because I know if I eat carbs in the morning, if I have a bagel or toast or something like or a croissant in the morning, I'm damn well going to be hungry at lunch. I can almost yeah. guarantee it. Whether it's me feeling like that, so it actually happens, or whether it's but I literally my stomach kind of aches if I've eaten carbs in the morning and I'm not eating by lunch. It's it's this crazy. You see it firsthand uh, how your body reacts and the patterns you can get into, and it's so easy. You know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Cereal for breakfast, all this kind of shit. You can see how people get roped into having to eat at regular points during the day, and how some of the stuff they eat affects you know the desire to eat or the desire of what you want to eat so and and that plays into the food scarcity thing so throughout history it's like if food was scarce there's periods of time where you wouldn't eat as much or periods of the year where you wouldn't eat as much and there's also periods of the year where you'd eat way more and maybe you have an abundance of of food during a specific period of time because because of hunting or or discovering foods it's like so i think that this i think it was very different and and it depended on a lot of things, right? Based on what was available to us. But now yeah. that's not our problem. So it's now we got to figure out what works for us. Mm-hmm. And we got to figure out how our bodies respond to things. And um, just just doing like those experiments that we just talked about on ourselves in terms of eating frequency. Yeah. It wasn't that hard. Like be, before I didn't even think about that. But once, I, so like for most of my life, I didn't think about that. <laughs> and then, but, but once I started to think about it, it's like, oh, if I just make this little switch and eat, for me, high high fat and protein in the morning. Oh, I don't need to eat lunch anymore because I'm not that hungry. And oh, and again, I feel I'm better. Listening. Yeah, and I'm listening to my body. And there was a period where I would also eat lunch, but I was like, wait, if I don't eat, I'm not actually hungry. So it's like listening to your body. It's like, am I actually hungry or yeah. not? <laughs> it's like people don't listen to that. Like, there's a reason why there's a sensation of hunger. It's because it's like hungry means you want to. So that is a big part of it. But if you eat these foods, it can dampen this this hunger signal. Oh, cool. So I should eat those foods because it dampens that, and then I'm gonna eat when I'm hungry later on. True. So it's 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 weird, and it comes back to the first principles of not only consciousness, but just listening to your body, seeing how you you respond at a personal level um, and running with that and over time making the changes. And if you want to go to an extreme level, uh, doing things like water fasting or going to see somebody who you, who, who you trust who can help you with this, some yeah. of the uh, people in the field who are, who are on point with this stuff uh, from a diet standpoint. But um, yeah, I, I don't even think people know what the potential is and how good they can feel. I think that's part of it, right? Yes. They don't know how to live. Number one, we've become so disconnected with our bodies that we don't even know how to actually feel like the data, feel what's happening in our bodies and understand how to say, okay, this is why I feel that way. You know, mm-hmm. I feel really good right now or I feel not so good, whether that's I, I feel bloated or I have a headache or I feel low energy or lethargic or, or slightly depressed or whatever it is. They don't yeah. even know how to acknowledge those feelings because most people are walking around all day, every day in this suboptimal state. So yes. number one is reconnecting with, okay, I feel good today. What what makes me say I feel good today? I have yeah. more energy. I just feel more vibrant. I feel like doing things. I have a high motivation or ambition today or whatever it is. We need to reconnect with that and then we can connect that to the habits that we're doing. Yes. Yeah. And create, you know, oh, when I go out and do vigorous exercise for 30 minutes, I feel way better. I'm more mm-hmm. clear-headed. I'm more focused. Um, I'm not as tired. You know, making those connections and then using the data points that you're getting and the feedback you're getting to create healthy, good habits. Because if you know that one thing makes you feel really, really good, um, you know, for a long period of time, you're probably going to want to do it if you associate those two things together. Then it'd be, yeah, so Get addicted to feeling good. Yeah. Right. And not just feeling good for 10 minutes when you're shoving sugar in your mouth. And then, 
you know, having consequences no, for three no. hours after. It's like but use that would the be data. Feeling, yeah, exactly. That would be feeling bad. Get a, get a, yeah. get addicted to feeling good for more hours of the day than not. Yeah. Get a good get addicted to feeling good um, all the time, right? And it's always going to be this kind of life is like a yo-yo ride. But but try to if you can just gradually over time um, do things in your life that make you feel more often than not better. Yeah, that's, even if it's like chip chipping away at yeah. like percentage points, it's like okay. But if you can do that over time, then that's you're going to be better off in the long run. It's almost like net feeling. I just realized this. Mm-hmm. It's net feeling. Okay, what I mean by that is, thirty minutes of shitty ass feeling when you're exercising equals four hours of good feeling. So mm-hmm. that's three point five hours of net positive feeling. Mm-hmm. Eating sugar is ten minutes of super super good feeling. Three hours of shitty yep. feeling. So that's. Two hours and 50 minutes of net shitty versus three and a half hours of net positive. It's like you got to look at the net feeling and and understand the amount of data you have to take in to make those connections. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way of looking at it. And and that can be applied to uh, many other areas besides diet too. Like the things you do, your, your gambling addiction or whatever it is, right? It's mm-hmm. like what are you doing that makes you maybe gives you that temporary pleasure but then makes you feel like shit for, for a long period of time after. Uh, and I think if we just start to be aware of these things, we're going to get thrown around less often yeah. in terms of just i think a lot of people are just getting it's like we're, we're in a room with people around us and, and these people are just pushing us in different directions we don't know where to go yeah um but if if we just kind of stop that and, and just have that awareness um we can just construct things a little bit differently so let's yeah. talk about one last thing i want to talk about is just um in general the nutrient density of food and the value of um, growing some of your own food because we both started doing this not that long ago right like uh, I think this past summer was the second summer that I had a decent-sized uh, vegetable garden and started growing some vegetables that I could have all summer long. Obviously, in Canada right now, there's, it's snowing outside, so you can't do it all year long, although I definitely want to have a greenhouse eventually. Um, but growing your own food and the satisfaction, but also two things that come from that. Number one, you have control over the nutrient density of that food, right? Yes. So if you look at most food, you go to a grocery store, you look at the average tomato. I, I've gotten used to doing this and like reading the labels now. So they got that little sticker on a tomato. It says made in Mexico. So I already know that that tomato was probably picked over a week ago. It came from Mexico. Okay, yeah. Going on a vacation to Mexico is a big deal. Yet your fruit or, or the food that you're about to buy literally came from Mexico. So it was probably picked a week ago. It was the likelihood, the assumption you can make is that it's probably grown in soil that is nu- nutrient poor, is yes. nutrient deficient, right? Because they grow the same same groups of vegetables as quick as they can to produce as much as they can in the same field and put NPK into it, right? Fertilizer, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Those are a very, that's a very limited spectrum of nutrients when we look at what we're designed to take in and what's required by our body, like zinc, molybdenum, iron, all these things. Our bodies need these things in order to function optimally. And a deficiency in one can create huge amounts of problems that maybe not, they don't actually signal you're deficient in zinc. So you have this, 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 and this. So I think what I'm trying to say there is two things. Number one, if you grow your own vegetables, you get freshness, you get nutrient density, right? You get way more from that tomato you eat than the tomato you buy in the grocery store. But number two, if that's not feasible for you, maybe a low-hanging fruit in terms of diet or or nutrition in general um, is taking a good quality multivitamin every day to make sure you're covering and checking those boxes of all these little nutrients that you might literally never, ever be getting, even if you eat a quote-unquote healthy, nutritious diet. Yeah, so the plants that you eat are made up of the building blocks of plants. A lot of that is the nutrients in the soil. The animals that you eat are made up of the building blocks of that, which is what the animals are eating, which is, again, linked to the plants um, or other things that are, animals are fed. So like the grains and, and so... And I think quality you, of meat is the exact same thing as exact I just same explained thing. with vegetables. So if you can kind of at least find higher this is something that I've, and again you can go to the extreme of this if, if you're doing things like um getting your meat from sustainable sources where um local sources um local farmers or even uh getting you know looking into getting game meat or things like that so if you can really there, like there's really really good uh sustainable sources of meat and then there's also sources that are that are probably terrible and, and at a baseline level you you can probably figure out I know there's a there's a couple stores in Ottawa where that that I know have high quality beef and high quality meat. So I will go there. It's probably not perfect, but it's better than like the um, you know the the discount supermarket meat that that yeah. just looks like like 
crap. So yeah, it's like, I, I know that I'm going to make a decision that way too. So I think it, you can take it a step further in saying that you, what you eat um, is, is oftentimes um, not what you think it might be. And it has a lot to do with how that was either raised um, or grown. If yeah. you're talking about meats or, or foods like that and just, and all veggies aren't the same, all meats aren't the same, all foods aren't the same, uh, depending on, on how these processes were, were done. So, and I think it's hilarious to see how people prioritize where they spend their resources, right? Like the average person, I think, spends more money giving a shit about what car they drive than about the actual nutrients they're putting into their body and giving to their families that determines their long-term health. What is more important than the food you eat? No, exactly. You know, like where are your priorities? Is it like go buying that new mountain bike or is it like maybe you just want to, maybe you should just eat the right shit. Maybe it costs a little bit more and it requires more effort in terms of looking because so many th- so many things in the food world try and trick us to eating bad stuff without us realizing it's bad stuff. So reprioritize, spend more money on your food because it literally matters. It matters so much. And it's an investment in your body, which you have forever, right? Mm-hmm. If your body fails, it doesn't matter what kind of fucking car you drive. Damn it. I'm trying not to swear. It doesn't matter what kind of car you're driving. If your body gives out and stops functioning, that should be where we reprioritize things. And it's not waste money on things, but it's Give a little bit more attention and pay a little bit more um, of your time to looking into what you're eating. Is that the right food? Is it good quality food? Um, And I think even last topic for today, (laughs) care about and look into what your poo tells you about what you're eating and how your body's digesting your food. Um, Mm -hmm. I got this website pulled up right now. It's Paul Check. I heard him talk about it on Aubrey Marcus's podcast. And it's a a small little page called Lessons from the Toilet. If you look up Lessons from the Toilet on Google, this is super powerful. And it's something that I only realized recently, but I wish I would have known for way longer. And it's essentially, in a nutshell, it tells you, look at the poo that you take, and it gives you an idea of, what your poo looks like and what that might indicate to you, right? Um, is, you know, he talks about all these different basically forms of poo. And I, I don't care. People, for some people, it might be an uncomfortable topic talking about poo, but it is important. And, you know, it shows you the kind of poo you're going to have if you're not eating enough fiber, if you're eating too much meat, if you're eating terrible types of meat, non-quality, like low-quality meats, if you're not eating enough good fat, if you're not drinking enough water, all this kind of stuff. And it really, it's instant feedback. Why? Because you shit every day. And so if you can look at that as feedback, oh, I ate this this morning and this is what my poo looks like and this is what it tells me, hmm, I need to adjust something. Yeah, it's it's pretty simple. It comes back to like the, the just listening to your body. It's like when I eat, that, that happens. Like if I have gas, my stomach's out to here and then the toilet is is not a pretty sight the next day, then it's like, yeah, I should take that as info, right? Let it, let <laughs> it, data. Let it guide my decisions. Um, yeah. So I think just informing yourself a little bit and, and something that might sound silly or uncomfortable, just something, maybe look into it a little bit. Keep it to yourself, but yeah. uh, look into it a little yeah, don't bit. Don't tell everyone out the office what your poo looks like, <laughs> but maybe use it to guide your decisions. So anyway, that's it for today's uh, podcast on nutrition. Hopefully that, you know, one of the big reasons we want to record this is we're going to think differently about diet and, and nutrition in general and what we eat in six months and a year from now. So doing this podcast allows us to get kind of a snapshot of how we're thinking about it right now. Um, and we're going to do these maybe not super frequently because we're not professional diet experts. But I think, you know, not being a professional diet expert, I honestly see as a huge asset in understanding the food we should be eating because it doesn't give us these preconceived notions of what should be done or or developing shitty habits of going based on some formal education that really doesn't reflect what we should be preaching to people in terms of relevant actionable information so we'll do these again down the road it'll be interesting to see how our opinions change but hopefully um today's podcast gives you a little bit more insight and information uh into the food you're eating thinking more about it looking at it as an investment in your health um and uh, we'll catch you guys next week